0: I don't feel there's someone in Alberta that's like the point source for driving growth and innovation in food, beverage, um, and agriculture in the province.
1: Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. Thank you to Philip Calburn and his team for the incredible work they do to bring awareness to the global problem of modern day slavery. I'm proud to share with my audience that I formalized my relationship with IGMs for becoming one of their Canadian ambassadors. Why? Because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime, and I want to use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For rest, it may be a moment of, wait, what, slavery? Is that even a thing? For me, up to 12 to 18 months ago, it was the second. I did not even understand the problem or that it existed at the scale that it does. Currently, there are over 40 million people affected by modern day slavery. 40 million people. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were open to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad. But then it gave me hope. It is support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of any slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. I know this can be an uncomfortable conversation, and that is okay. That's why we're going to go on this journey together. Stay tuned as we host guests from IGM who will help educate us, as well as upcoming events that, where we can meet the amazing people that make the work they do a reality. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. We will only succeed in ending slavery in our lifetime if we work together to make a difference. Hello and welcome to Collision's YYC, follow the money, investing with purpose. A show where we have real conversations with the people who are driving change in our community. I'm excited about my show today, as as I often am, but more importantly, because this is a topic and certainly an area of interest or an opportunity or an industry in Alberta that we haven't had much conversations with on the show. Food and beverage in our province. And to have to take us on this journey while simultaneously sharing a little bit of their own story for growth and all the exciting twists and turns of, of building something in this space. Happy to welcome Ted Fleming to the show. How are you, Ted? Mm.
0: I'm doing great. How are you, Tyler?
1: Uh, fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on. We, you know, Calgary Conspires, and you and I ended up chatting. And this is an area that I have not had a lot of opportunity to dive into or to learn about. More specifically, not just food and beverage, but the non-alcoholic space. So food, food founder and CEO at Partake Brewing. Uh, tell us a little bit, like, what is a Partake Brewing? How did you guys get going? And uh, again, should we have one right now? It is the morning, but this is non-alcoholic. So anyways, two questions in one there. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think I think on the uh, should we be having one right now? I think uh, if we were having one, it should be our Rattler, which is like a mimosa of beer made with uh, our blonde beer and cold pressed juices. So pretty, pretty nice uh, breakfast beer, if you will.
1: Ooh, um, that sounds refreshing. We'll have to we'll have to, uh, <laughs>
0: we'll have to get together for breakfast at a at another date and, and have one of those. But I, uh, I look forward yeah, to it. It's yeah, on. It's boring. on. What are we? we? Yeah. All right. Awesome. So Partake Brewing, we're the number one selling craft non-alcoholic beer in Canada. Um, We started only five years ago as a brand, but my journey um, starts uh, about a decade before that. Um, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and a lot of the business is a result of my journey just trying to figure out uh, my own personal, uh, what works for me personally, uh, having a chronic disease like Crohn's and uh, giving up alcohol was part of that journey. Happy to get into the the details of that but um yeah we're a, a canadian-based company we're in calgary offices in calgary and in and in toronto and we've got uh, a bunch of employees in the us as well so uh an international company in a in a very in a very successful company in a very short period of time
1: i love it so just to talk about a little bit the entrepreneur side this was you were your first journey or your first quest was to solve your own problem getting diagnosed with a, with a disease where alcohol is, uh, frowned upon or probably not beneficial to your, to your conditions, to your symptoms. So this was a personal journey. I love the entrepreneur side of like, what, what was the pain point that got you kind of motivated? It's not, you didn't look out to the market first. You were the market of one who was basically trying to solve your own problems. Is that that an easy way to oversimplify that statement?
0: (laughs) No, that was, that was exactly it. So I, I was, uh, yeah, I, I experimented a lot with, uh, you know, I, at first I thought like maybe the issue is gluten. So instead of beer, I started trying wine and cider and so on, but, you know, came to the realization, no, it was, it was alcohol that was, that was driving some of the the complications I was having with Crohn's. And I just want to say like, that's, that's not across the board for people with Crohn's. That's just my, my personal experience. But I would say just in general, like for anyone, even if they don't have a chronic disease, you know, moderating or reducing your alcohol consumption is, is uh, something you can do that's, incredibly healthy for your overall health and wellness um but yeah for for me the the start of the journey was yes i have this i have this issue i want to solve at the retail space there wasn't really much in the way of choice and variety when you went out to bars and restaurants you were offered water soda juice it was a very a juvenile offering for anyone that wasn't drinking alcohol and that was that was a real struggle because i'm I'm trying to do this thing that's like really healthy for me. It's good for me personally. It's good for my family. Um, and at the same time, you, you ask for something that's non-alcoholic and you're treated like you're at the kid's table. And that was, that was it was hard to maintain that social connection. And, and when you give up alcohol, you start to realize, particularly here in North America, of like how, how important alcohol is in a lot of our socializing, um, whether that's family events, holidays, uh, even work socials. Um, for many decades, alcohol was a big component of that, so it was hard to kind of make that change and still maintain that that really important social connection that uh um that we all need in our lives so to begin my journey, I actually started an import business and an online store and the the business model was basically this it was I will import you know a couple pallets of beer, and if it doesn't work out i 'll just have to drink the inventory. <laughs>
1: I appreciate it. you had you had a worst case scenario strategy already mapped out. Um, I really like what you said, and we could have a whole episode just on kind of the social pressure, the stigma around alcohol consumption. And I, you know, I were joking, I think on our on our on our first on our pre call. You know, alcohol is the only substance that when you say no to it, people think you have a problem. I thought that was a really interesting. It was a meme or a paradigm I'd seen somewhere of like how much of a role it does play in our society, and all of a sudden being diagnosed with something that quote unquote, puts you at the kid's table. Like, you know, I bartended my wife through school and you know, if somebody at a table ordered a Shirley Temple, you'd kind of double, you'd take another look at that table as everyone else was drinking, you know, 12 year old scotches or beers. And then so then, then, then XYZ person orders the Shirley Temple uh, or a juice or whatever the case may be. There was always a stigma around that. Has that changed? And that's diminished as making healthier choices in our society, i.e. reducing alcohol, just in your own trends of where things are headed. Has there also been a combination of like uh, maybe a greater acceptance or a quest for people looking for alternatives?
0: Yeah, it's 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 been a huge shift in the time that I've been in this industry when I started, um, when I said I didn't drink or I started a non-alcoholic beer company, you know, people's immediate reaction is like, Are you an alcoholic? Right. (laughs) And that's, you know, are you an alcoholic or you've got some you've got some problem? Right? Like that was their immediate reaction. And you know, just when, when I was originally going out to consumer shows and talking to people about what I was doing, you know, I'd get, I'd get comments like, don't quit your day job, like dumbest idea I've ever heard. Um, you know, wow. people, it, it wasn't just that they thought that the business idea was dumb, but I think they were they were personally, they felt personally, personally threatened in some ways that someone was trying to bring like non-alcoholic versions of alcoholic products to market. And it's, it was... Not a very welcoming uh, society and culture to 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 be a non drinker in. And today, you know, as a as a comparative, I went to a a beer a beer industry event this past weekend, and everyone I talked to said we carry your product at our brewery. Most of our sales reps drink your product. It's totally a requirement today. Most of us, even if we are in the beer industry, we're trying to reduce our consumption because we know alcohol, like there's a, there's a recognition even within the industry that their product is inherently unhealthy Mm -hmm. in large quantities. Moderation is the way to go. And, you know, there's probably for most people, there's probably a a healthy balance between drinking alcoholic products and non-alc. But the fact that the industry itself is kind of embracing moderation, I think that just, that just tells you there's, there's been a paradigm shift in, in terms of what um, non-drinking means in society today.
1: Uh, I love that. And we talk so much, you know, from a marketing perspective of, you know, very few of us work in organizations where we can create the cultural trend, but understanding where it's headed and, you know, but for yourself being there before it headed there, I heard a quote last night, I forget who it was from, but you know, once opportunity, once opportunity knocks, it's too late. You, you, you're you already unprepared because the, because the knocks at the door, but getting ahead of it. So let's, let's rewind a little bit, you know, cause that was, you just talked about it today, but 10 years ago when you started the quest, even to five years ago, I understand when you started your own manufacturing, you are still the, the crazy guy starting the non-alcoholic beer company to be over over oversimplified. So talk to us a little bit about, did you bootstrap it? Was it local investment? Like if everyone thought what you were doing was don't quit your day job, how was that from getting investment and actually getting the financial support to get this thing turning from a garage hobby to actually moving it into being the business that it is today?
0: Yeah, I think back, it it totally was something that was unfundable at the time it was <laughs> it was out there and I think to your point like totally true right like if it in hindsight those those people that were telling me it was a dumb idea it'll never work it's almost like a, a positive signal of like okay maybe I am onto something because you're <laughs> right like if they would have said oh great idea probably meant like 50 other people are already doing it right so yeah. we were part of this like first cohort cohort of maybe three or four Companies that sort of jumped into the non-alcoholic craft beer space around 2017, and then for me, I was I was the the second business um, in the world and the first in North America to do uh, a very a dedicated store to non-alcoholic um, alternatives to alcohol. So we had non-alcoholic beers and wines and spirits and ciders um, through the online store, and then that community really really started to help me figure out like what my purpose was around like how was I serving them what did they need they started asking for craft non-alcoholic beer which led me to my own company but you know to your point on or question on you know funding um I funded the entire business myself from 2013 through 2020 um and a lot of it was a lot of it came down to like, I'm not sure exactly what I'm doing yet, right? Like there was a lot of experimentation just in the business model, like understanding like who my customer is, how do I serve them? And, um, you know, a a vision towards like, hey, let's, let's, uh, let's figure things out. Let's be scrappy. Let's bootstrap this thing as long as possible. And, uh, you know, I, I think going seven years is quite a, quite a long time to bootstrap. And there were some perhaps some difficult conversations at home around <laughs> around that concept. But uh, 20, 2020, actually in the heart of COVID, which was quite rare. And when you look back, it's like a, quite an amazing accompl- accomplishment. We raised a, a $4 million U.S. Uh, Series A round in June of 2020, when, to be honest, most venture capitalists were just on the sidelines because of COVID, early stage COVID. So, you know, feather in our cap for getting that done. But I think it just spoke to, how how well we had built the business, uh, the fundamentals of the business and just, you know, just people seeing the signals of that shift in trend from, you know, people drinking non-alcoholic products who just looked like me had a very specific health or medical condition and that we were starting to see through the data the shift towards a broader acceptance in, in the population driven by health and wellness uh, considerations mostly.
1: Oh, so many questions. Let's we'll stick on the funding train here for a second. So four million U.S. fund or U.S. round was that because you couldn't find investors in Canada? You know, of course, you know locally. Was there anyone that you'd spoke to in Alberta? Always curious of when you know. And I'm I love wherever we can get the money and bring it back here to build businesses located in our province. I'm all supportive. But I'm always concerned a little bit around that gap of there's money in this province, but is that money available to fund as many opportunities as may be happening from a startup perspective? So for you, was that strictly a relationship or someone that, an introduction or was it you needed to go outside of the province because you weren't getting traction here and no one really wanted to, they weren't interested in the conversation?
0: Yeah. So going back, like the idea was so at, at, at the outset, it was so far out there that it wasn't it wasn't fundable to be, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then, you know, by the time we, we built the business through 2019 and we were probably at, you know, we were probably at 2 million plus in sales at that point. I think that the impetus for me for getting the funding was we wanted to build our business in the U S more, um, you know, the risk of COVID just, it had like, when we started the pro the process to raise, it wasn't, it wasn't on the radar screen, but just when it came, it just made it even that more important to kind of have that capital as a backstop for who knows what what that was going to mean um i think the big thing for me was that you know as we as we saw big new accounts come on like loblaws and sobeys and safeway um you know we're a physical products business we need we need inventory to have on hand to service those customers and when you start talking about those size of customers the major grocery stores across the country and we had it across the country reach by that point we had uh we had uh, sales into the u.s that were fairly significant so um we needed the cash just to manage that that growth and scale of our business
1: and the funding getting a you know wh- wh- so wh- where who was the funding partner and i don't know if you want to name them but who came on board was it just purely from a funding perspective or was it also a strategic partner that could provide access and really like that knowledge or that experience in the food and beverage space
0: yeah so we you know by by bootstrapping the business as long as we we had um you know we we put ourselves in a really great position where people were calling us mm, okay. and wanting to invest in these these people were, um, these groups were um, industry specific, smart smart money, as they say, mm, um, yeah. type of investors who know consumer packaged goods, who know beverage, um, were able to provide us a lot of great insights um, into the business. And so we were able to add some, some U.S. expertise into our investor network, as well as uh, some Canadian expertise. So. Um, you know, we, we put ourselves into a really great position to be selective as to who, who we brought on as investment
1: partners. So looking back on it now, 2020 from that investment, how much value did that bring to the table? Like you said, the smart money concept, the smart money comment, how much value did it bring to your business beyond just the dollars? Like, would you say, if you look back, like, yeah, the dollars were what we needed to go, but the right, that right partner was a force multiplier beyond what we could have accomplished if we just got a check.
0: Yeah, I think I think I really understood the value of that when we went to raise our next round of capital which we just closed in the spring which was a 21 million Canadian round of funding and having that that US um, capital in our network from the from the previous round and and you know we had a lot of success so all our, our all our existing investors were going to put in more money into the company which which is a great signal to new investors. Mm -hmm. Um, but having that American money on the cap table already was also like, it just, it just made things easier in talking to other U S firms. And it also brought some, you know, it just just made it, it it felt just a little less risky for those new U S investors. And it was also, they were, they were, they played a critical role in actually selling the deal to, to new people.
1: No, fantastic. Which makes a lot of sense. Bringing it back home to Alberta and back to our original kind of comment around food and beverage, what kind of support, you know, from a program perspective, government perspective, local, like just curious, like what was there through the journey from 2013 to 2020 or even today, provincially or even Canadian wise, that's been a benefit, you know, thinking about what's going on in our province and where we're putting our support in, whether that's removing barriers or creating programs or, or funding or, you know, grants or different, different vehicles what did you experience from an Alberta grassroots, like here at home perspective, specifically rated to being in food and beverage?
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. It was it, when I came here, you know, some of the first things I did, I, I moved here in, in 2018 and, you know, I tried to get involved in the local entrepreneur network and find out where those, where those opportunities for, for funding were as well as, you know, just, just networking in general. And, um, uh, to be honest, I found it hard. Like a lot mm-hmm. of the funding is is directed towards tech or oil and gas, and it's not food and beverage is not really a a well. At least at that point, it wasn't a, a well thought out um, industry for for funding. So I I I just went down a lot of dead ends where they you know eventually said, okay, well you're not ones and zeros, uh, we can't fund you. So that that was a frustrating year or two as I went down a few. Few dead ends with that. I think where we have found success is there's a program called the uh, Canadian Agricultural Partnership, which is a provincial federal combined program, and that's that's provided us some funding for market expansion into into the U.S. Um, so I, I'd say that's the that's probably the primary program that has a provincial um, component that we've we've been successful in in leveraging.
1: I'm curious, now that you've got some success, you've got a little bit of media, you've got some, you know, two, two very successful raises behind you. Mm, I'm curious, is there anybody coming out of the woodwork to all of a sudden now want to chip in and help and get involved now that you've got a little bit more of a shiny success story going on?
0: Uh, yeah, success, uh, breeds success, right? So (laughs) every time you make an announcement of something, something good that happens, you know, someone says, Hey, I want to invest. I want to, you know, I want to work with you guys. Here's my Even, even from a recruiting point of view, like we get resumes all the time from people who, you know, hey, we want to join something like you guys that's like, hey, it's transformative. It has purpose, you're a brand with purpose. And, um, you know, people want to be, uh, you know, be on a, a rocket ship and, and associate with something that's really successful and, and partake is very successful.
1: No, that's fantastic. Uh, You and I chatted about this a little bit before we got on the call around just the purpose and around, you know, kind of your core motivation and providing this for people, which, you know, comes back to, if you can't drink alcohol, it can be alienating. It's there's social pressures. There's all kinds of things. When you were putting this together and tying it into the funding a little bit, you know, right, you know, like the business model is important, of course, but the purpose and the problem you were truly solving in the world and the why how much was that a factor for investors and like did it come in or was that like you know a bullet point or was it a part of the part of the story that they also bought into when it came to you know who you ended up partnering with that way
0: yeah i i I think those things are reinforcing to one another right like if if you're a brand with purpose and authenticity and and consumers can gravitate towards that and they gravitate towards my story and the authenticity that comes with that and us being first to market and really trying to solve a problem and solve it for our our community and now branching that out and making it more accessible and socially acceptable and we're the ones breaking down a lot of the stigma we're the first ones through the walls so we're we're getting getting a little bloody doing some <laughs> some things before anyone else but you know there's a lot of respect in the marketplace for that from consumers and that translates into brand loyalty it, it, it translates into sales it translates into our ability to take a leadership position with retailers um so it's very much uh being a brand with purpose uh, is reinforcing to the financial success of the business
1: yeah and from a consumer facing brand that's so so important to so many consumers today to have that that layer in and From you said, like when you really think about the value of brand, it's what what it is that it connects to to me at my soul and how can I relate. And and such a great formula for for human connection ultimately. And you know, brand is sometimes just a fancy word for personality for for a company in my mind, but what is that? what does that what does that company stand for? And can I relate to that in, in a way that actually inspires me? So kudos to you guys for from a marketing perspective, having those those pieces to the formula, uh, thinking back even a little bit, you know i'm a, I'm now I'm an entrepreneur. I've got my idea. I'm in my early stages, and i'm and I'm listening to this. So we talked about the value of purpose and making that part of your brand. Any kind of highlight reel or kind of tips or you know words of advice you'd want to share from you know sticking with the idea in the days when everyone tells you you're nuts? It, right up to you know some of the things you would do differently back looking at your first funding round.
0: Yeah, this yeah, there's there's a long list here. Um, <laughs> you know, I think the purpose, like just like to 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 stay on that that thread a little bit. Um, you know, I, I I think the purpose gives you, um, gives you that tenacity to work through a lot of problems, and like any startup business is going to go through a, a ton of problems. Like people see you know, the funding rounds and like the like top growing companies lists and all these awards that we win. But, you know, behind the scenes, and, and and it's not just us, like every, every startup business owner I talk to is it's the same. There's, there's a lot of challenges behind the curtain. And it's people issues, it's product issues, like there's constantly things you're fires you're having to put out, but you're also having to like, plan over the next horizon of like, okay, if you don't do that, you'll never achieve some of the growth aspirations you have so um yeah having that purpose um i think is something to rally behind for the team so you know we we had some issues um with uh with some supply chain earlier in the year and you know how did we rally like it was a lot of work and extra hours and all this stuff to kind of just to to make sure our our customers had the product they needed um how do you rally the troops you rally them around like this means this is meaningful to our customers. Like, if we don't have the product on shelves, like, this is going to hurt people. And that's our job is to make sure that they have this great product that allows them to socialize, allows them to live this healthier lifestyle. And if we fail in that, then that affects them. It's not just about dollars and cents for the company. So I think having that purpose um, is extremely valuable, not just to you as a, an individual uh, founder or owner, but particularly when you have a team to, to rally them around.
1: Appreciate it. How much do you guys interact with your, with your customer from a sense of community? Like, is it social media? Is it, I'm assuming you're getting comments like, Hey, thanks. This is great. I'm glad I found it. Like, is that a big part of your business is staying as connected as you can with your, with your actual, the consumer of the beverage itself?
0: Yeah, that's, that's massive. Like I, I recall early, early when I was running the online business, it wasn't, it was before I even launched partake. I had someone um, call me up and say, "Hey, I'm I'm so thankful for what you're doing. My husband, he's just been diagnosed with cancer. The the cardiologist or the um, oncologist said, uh, you know, you've got uh, you you can't have alcohol. You're going to have this 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 treatment, and like he was having his buddies over for a barbecue and beers that night, and Mm -hmm. she's like, being able to get your product just made it just." You know, he's going through all this other stuff in his life, like massive, a massive life change that all of a sudden has been put on his plate. And, you know, do we rip a beer out of his hand at the same time? No, we were able to kind of just like make him make him feel like that small part of his life wasn't being overturned by this this same thing. And like that was that was a North Star moment for me when I was like, wow, like what I am doing has real impact, real positive and then that's continued over the years and we try to highlight that like every week when we have a team meeting it's like hey let's let's just take take a few moments to understand the positive impact that we're all having
1: so, uh, that's awesome! I love stories like that, man. It's great. Those are, it's hard. It's hard not to bring up, like bring a swell to your heart when you hear a story like that. And I love it. And it's as simple as something as a non-alcoholic beer. Like that's the beauty of of the power of 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 having impact on someone. It doesn't have to be a massive thing. It can be as, as simple as, as as not ripping the beer out of their hand. How many different products do you have? Right? I'm on your site right now. You've got six different flavors. Curious is that is that what it is? Is that what I'm seeing? And like, how do you guys manage? Uh, where you go with that? Do you ever get, sorry, get drunk on like, we could come up with this flavor and that flavor, I guess, how much discipline does it take around this like product development of kind of staying, keeping it tight and understanding what people actually want to consume versus what's possible? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think, I think if you dig into the website, you'll find, you'll find a few more flavors in there. So yeah. mm-hmm. to answer that question, yeah, it's hard not to, <laughs> not to be a little, uh, <laughs> like I'm a consumer first, right? So I'm I'm driving like, I want this, I want that. Nice. <laughs> and my team's like, oh my goodness, what does Ted want now? So, um, <laughs> no, like, yeah, we're we're trying to have discipline on. Like, we have a core group of products that we bring to retail, and we produce very large volumes of, and we ship ship into the U.S. and we ship in the into the major retailers in Canada. We also have a bunch of of flavors that are seasonal or experimental that that are just online. So, like our super fans who are like always after that, you know, the newest thing they come to us through online and they're able to get that people who are like, I love the pale ale or I love the IPA. Like they can just go to their local retailer and pick that up uh, any day of the
1: week. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. The, the the discipline of like what's possible versus what's, what's the right thing to do as a business. When you've got something as final, like you said, you're a consumer first, you touched a little bit about, you know, the tenacity and how purpose ties in any kind of quick sound bites around that first funding round and some of the real, like, Hmm, I thought it was going to be this way, but it actually ended up being quite different. Like any, any takeaways on that one for the audience, a little bit more, um, lo- logistical around, uh, around doing the thing.
0: Yeah. Like my, my, my journey on that is, I hope not what others will go through. Um, <laughs> My Crohn's disease was acting up in early 2020. I was hospitalized. I picked up C. difficile in the hospital, which is an intestinal bacterial infection. And as it turned <laughs> out, I had a parasite from going to Mexico City in October. So I was, I was like the walking dead in, wow. okay. in the spring of 2020 when I'm trying to do a funding round. I didn't have really, I had a super small team, so I didn't have much support around me. So it, was, it all fell onto me, the due diligence process is a, is a grind. Like, it, it is a grind, just back and forth with lawyers and documentation. That stuff, it's, it's, uh, it's super hard. So um, yeah, I, the way I did it the next time and the learnings was like, hey, just make sure you build enough time in, build yourself a support network, make sure you have enough cash for, as a business, to operate, uh assuming that the fundraising is going to take two to three times as long as you probably probably
1: planned yeah good 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 advice good advice yeah. and uh, how big is your team right now just to put context to kind of what you guys are doing and you you mentioned the size of the funding rounds is this like you have 100 people on the team 30 people on the team what what's the what does it look like
0: yeah we're about 35 today i expect by the by the end of next year we'll be at 50
1: nice uh. And team, team members, like again, remote or in office, or I know you're, you're, you're in Calgary. Do you have team members all over? You said, you mentioned Toronto, like what's your, what's your team makeup? I'm just curious, like what, what does working at Partake look like in terms of just uh, logistically?
0: Yeah. Like, so, so we have an office in Calgary. We have an office in Toronto. Um, I'd say a quarter of our employees are in Calgary. Um, half are in Toronto and then another quarter in the U S and in the U S we don't have an office. They're all, Market specific, so we have someone in Seattle and someone in Chicago, someone in Los Angeles. So, um, you know, we we became a decentralized kind of business through COVID, and then we've we've tried to embrace that uh, going forward.
1: Any any pull from any whether it's your investors or just your own need to be boots on the ground to move out of Calgary or maybe move south of the border more permanently, or is is Calgary a good as good a place as any to build a business uh, like like what you've created?
0: Well, I'll be perfectly honest, I love living in Calgary from a lifestyle perspective, so yep. head office is where I am, and I'm going to be here. <laughs> I love uh, it. That being said, you know, that being said, there is a, you know, a, a strong uh, desire from the Canadian team to have an office in Southern California, so
1: hmm. I, might, I might have to look Interesting. at Interesting. I like the lifestyle component of that, <laughs> yes. So what you're saying is January in Southern California is a great place to do business. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I, I think there's, yeah, a lot of people are making that suggestion to
1: me. Yes. I, I appreciate it, but there might be some, uh, some, some hidden motivations there that are not that hidden, not that hidden. Uh, curious. I love to ask this question and I'm kind of, I don't think you and I chatted about this one ahead of time. So I'm throwing it at you. The magic wand question, you know, you know, you mentioned a few things about maybe the Alberta ecosystem, not being as supportive. And when it, when you come to bringing it back home, if I was going to give you the magic wand and you're going to, you know what, I would wave my magic wand and change this or add this or remove that. Uh, specifically around Alberta and our ecosystem and the way it supports or doesn't support our kind of startups Uh, thoughts on what you would do with your magic? And again, it's your magic wand. So, so have fun with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, I think one of the challenges for me and I've, I've had discussions with ministers with various groups that are in like the startup ecosystem. I don't feel there's someone in Alberta that's like the point source for driving growth and innovation in food, beverage um, and agriculture in the province. So I, you know, I talked to a whole bunch of people, but no one could say this is the this is the one person or this is the one group or agency or whatever. Like it's just it feels like it's management by committee, which means it's probably not being done as, as well. So, you know, I've talked to various groups about like, can you guys can you guys be like the owner of that? Right. So that when a new company starts up and they ask me like what they should do, I can say, go to these guys. they'll help you figure out what the funding is, figure out like you know what you know what you have to do like in terms of putting the left, left foot in front of the right foot in terms of just building your business up to get to a fundable level. Um, yeah, I if I took a magic wand, I'd put this person is the person driving all of this for your category in Alberta.
1: I really appreciate that. You're not the first guest who's mentioned like we have no shortage of support networks, but what we have is it can be notoriously hard to navigate. And for a a startup, you don't even know where to start or who to to call. And I've heard that, yeah, Alberta is an amazing inclusive community once you know where to be included, but otherwise it can actually be kind of alienating just simply because you don't know where to get access and Again, the best ideas in the world, if nobody knows how to get access to them, are they then are they still the best? that's that's a that's a tricky balance. And I think hard to navigate and bureaucracy plays a part, which i have I have no expertise except frustration when it comes to bureaucracy.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think there like there are there are private groups that help, but I think there needs to be sort of a um, a public or not for profit one that that will help build companies up to a point where they're they have the tools to go out and get professional venture money or debt or, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a, a learning curve that we need to bring people up to in order for them to have like successful relationships with, with investors and, and, um, you know, have success just growing their business to be, to be honest.
1: Yeah. A curious personal question for you on this journey the journey of the entrepreneur, founder, visionary can be lonely. Did you have coaches, mentors, support people? Has that been a big part? Or was a lot of this just figuring it out by trial and error? And kind of how was that for you? And how important do you think that is for, for startups or entrepreneurs or leaders at at any level of an organization to have kind of those external viewpoints that are close enough to tell you when you're about to step on the landmine and care enough to do it?
0: Yeah, I, I found those to be, I was skeptical about some of that stuff to begin with. Um, but I joined an entrepreneurs group in 2018 when I, or 2019, shortly after I came to, came to Calgary, I found it to be a a phenomenal experience. Um, today I'm one of the people leading a group called foodfounder.org, which, uh, uh, we're, we're a group of, you know, food and beverage entrepreneurs across Canada that are just trying to build that own, that. Build that support network for ourselves right because there there isn't someone nationally that's doing that so we're coming together as a as a group of individuals and trying to build that network so you know i I'd, I'd say to any food and beverage entrepreneur out there that's uh maybe listening to to get in touch because um you know we're, we're trying to build some of these things ourselves if if it's not built for us uh you know we're entrepreneurs at heart right of course so we're go build yes it absolutely
1: and sorry what's the, what's the name of that organization just so we can everybody hears it.
0: It's called, uh, food founder,
1: food founder. I get a couple people on my radar right away that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask them if they've heard of you. And if not, they should go, ch- they should go check it out and uh, that are doing some stuff here in, in Calgary. Um, Ted, fantastic. Last, last question. Uh, I'll hold myself at one last question. Uh significant raise with your last round. Where, what, what's the road ahead? Where do you guys see? Is it global expansion? Is it just to continue penetration in North America from a you know, addressable market perspective. What what what's kind of the highlight reel for the next couple couple years ahead for you guys?
0: Yeah, yeah. There's 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 similar questions to to what you asked around like how many how many products you have, right? Like, what's the balance mm. between ultra focus? And to be honest, look, twenty one million dollars is a lot of money, but it's not enough to conquer the U.S. The U.S. is such a huge huge market, so we have to be very specific about how do we how do we deploy that. That new money, where's our focus? And uh, mm. um, you know, that's a work in progress. We don't have the yeah. uh, the the uh, silver bullet answer today, but um, you know, we're we're testing and learning. I think that's a huge part of entrepreneurship is is being able to run some tests and hypothesize and 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 experiment against those hypotheses. Um, and we're doing that today. And I think again, it's it's a work in progress. You're never you're never done. You're, you've always got something to improve on or something to learn, um, and that's uh, you know I think this next this tranche of money is get us to a point where it's like we've got a pretty under pretty good understanding of you know who our customer is, where they are, how they shop, what resonates with them, what tactics we can use that work, and we would we would take that to raise a lot more capital uh, a few years down the road where we can okay. really lean into those those really specific learnings. And, um, you know, I'd say as a brand, the evolution of the brand, I think is, you know, I think we're starting to talk about, and our audience is starting to talk about consumers, our, our fans, you know, we're, we're starting to hear much more about mental health in terms of why people are, are gravitating towards our product. It's, it's a way for people to manage anxiety. Um, the feeling of control or being present in a moment, I think is becoming much more, um, top of mind for people, um, uh, one key thing for me, when I gave up alcohol, I was like, wow, my, my quality of sleep just skyrocketed. <laughs> yes. And, you know, sleep is like this, this foundational element to all other things, health and wellness for, for people. And, you know, I'd, I'd probably have the same number of hours of sleep as I did before, but the quality just went way, way up. And I just felt so much more energized. And it, it's funny, like I'm, I'm in this business where I make non-alcoholic beer, but I also think, like, without having given up alcohol, I wouldn't be a successful entrepreneur, regardless of that. And so, oh, that's awesome! Such I key, love that. That's a good tie-in. I like unlock. how you thought that in. <laughs> it's
1: so interesting yeah, because, it's a, yeah, yeah. like as I look
0: back, I'm like, such a key unlock to like, hey, my product productivity, my my health and wellness, and I obviously have an underlying condition, but you know, the sleep factor, I think, is just is just something that's that's. You know, I, I think we're just starting to understand how important that is. And then, um, you know, one more thing we're hearing from others is just like, hey, look, when I'm present and in control, I'm just a be- better version of myself and I have healthier relationships with others. And um, so I think that's all encompassed in 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 terms of mental health and how we can play a, a role and have a voice in in that.
1: I really appreciate that, and I love your underlying message of, "Hey, all you entrepreneurs and startup founders out there, don't forget to take care of yourself in the process, <laughs> because a, because an, a, a less good version of you is going to be a less successful business." And I think a lot of business owners or startup founders uh, they put themselves way down the list of importance, and I I do think that's a bit of an error. But it's a tricky balance, so I'm not going to get on my soapbox too high about that one. But I like, I feel there's a whole other podcast underneath what the, what we what we're finishing up here on.
0: Yeah, well, I, I put that like I've I've got some personal core core values, and one of them is yeah, healthy founder is a healthy business. As a, is, you know, you need that for a healthy business.
1: I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's a great that's a great place to uh, to toast and to end off on our uh, on, on our conversation today. Uh, Drinkpartake dot You guys are all over the place. Is it safe to say that if where you buy your current beverages, you're going to be able to find this product? Is that is that safe, especially in Alberta, which is where most of our audience is from? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a safe bet. And uh look if if uh anyone listening wants to help us on our journey and with our mission, like tell your local bar or restaurant that uh you you want to get this product in and um yeah, just be just be, you know, maybe open minded about uh people that don't drink or, you know, bring it into your workplace. Have it have it in the, the corporate office or the fridge. It's uh it'd make uh probably a few people uh feel more included and uh, you know better able to socialize. So, um, you know, please, please help us out.
1: I I like the double take of the boss walking or the boss or the manager walking through the office at 10 in the morning and thinking he sees a beer on somebody on someone's desk or he or she sees a beer on someone's desk just for shock value alone. I don't mind a little like what, what, what's going on here? Say, come again. Uh, Ted really enjoyed our conversation. Love your passion and certainly your sense of purpose and how you guys have built this business. And the, the, yeah, the, what are you, what are you pushing? 12 year, 13 year overnight, overnight success, quote unquote. So kudos to you. And, uh, huge high five on the business you're building and thanks for sharing your story i really appreciated it
0: mm. yeah thanks tyler it was great to be on appreciate the the opportunity to talk to your audience and uh yeah we love being we love being an alberta company and being in calgary and uh yeah if you're uh, interested in joining an awesome company like partake uh, get in touch
1: fantastic cheers to that thanks ted
0: thanks tyler